Welcome to the Officer Media Group Roll Call Podcast. Officer Roll Call is meant to inform and entertain. Now, let's get into this episode. Welcome to the Officer Roll Call Podcast. I'm Paul Peluso, the editor of Officer Magazine. I'm joined by Frank Borelli, the editorial director of Officer Media Group. How's it going today, Frank? Morning, Paul. Beautiful day outside. How about you? It is. It's beautiful out and uh, fall is upon us. So. Mm -hmm. Today, we're going to spend some time um, looking at duty gear, and we have a great relationship with the fine folks over at NAMED, the Network Association of Uniform Manufacturers, and their executive director, Rick Levine, um, penned an article titled, Duty Gear Trends Off the Waist and More Modular Than Ever, in the September issue of Officer Magazine. In the article, he talks about how gear for law enforcement currently plays a delicate balancing act with style, fit, and function. So Frank, um, yeah, he, he spoke about a couple of different categories here of, of things that he thinks that new uh, duty gear is addressing. And uh, he st starts out about talking about uh, outer carriers for armor and how um, one, one of the big uh, trends is integrating body armor into the officer's uniforms. What, what have you seen as far as how that's become um, a trend over the years here? Well, remembering that when I started, people were still arguing about whether or not you should even wear body armor or if it was too restrictive to your movement. Um, and it took uh, probably until the early to mid-90s for agencies to actually make the broad mandates of if you're in uniform, you will wear armor. Um, kind of a, you don't have an option anymore thing. We're going to make you be safer in spite of your own stupidity. Um, but we've moved that from concealed to external carriers for a lot of reasons. And I'm, we'll talk about some of those, but as we did that, um, you know, you, you came into, you, you didn't want everybody to look like uh, the SWAT officer that was put on patrol. So you didn't want to have a, a black Molly mesh covered uh, hard armor with a collar, um, you know, over top of a, a light blue duty uniform shirt. Yeah. They had to find a way to make it match, so to speak. So, and, and they've done a great job. The manufacturers today have carriers that look like uniform shirts, but they have the body armor in them, uh, and they blend right in with the the uniform of the day that you're wearing. So, but it's definitely a, a movement that's taken hold. I do know people who still wear concealable body armor, especially guys. You, know, you get the the bicycle patrol people. Um, Anybody who's wearing a polo shirt as part of their uniform, they're still wearing armor that's concealable. But most of the people that are in uniform today that I've experienced are wearing external carriers. Um, and it's a good move. It, it, it's, it's healthy. It, it, it's, it's having a positive impact. Yeah, and uh, Rick talks about how, you know, there's a lot of storage options within these external carriers and how it brings a lot of that um, weight off of the belt and onto those carriers and in, in a lot of, um, in a lot of cases. And, um, you know, that there's different things that, that you can move, move on to them. Um, is that something that you've uh, seen as well? Oh yeah. I mean, it got to the point where it was the, the, the kind of, uh, contradictory balance. We wanted all officers to be fit and trim. So, you know, you got, a, a male who's got a 28, 30, 32 inch waist. You've got a female who might only have a 22, 24 inch waist because some of them are so small. Um, and then, but you got to put everything on a gun belt. 
the gun, the magazines carriers, the OC spray, the baton, handcuff pouch or pouches, uh, glove pouch, uh, taser, radio, flashlight. It got to a point where we'd say you ran out of landscape. So um, having the, the external armor as, a, as an equipment carrier as well helps get a lot of that stuff off of the gun belt um, and onto the, to the vest. Uh, it's still just as accessible. In fact, it might be more accessible because it's on the front of you rather than behind a hip or, God forbid, the small of your back. We caused a lot of back problems back in the day by putting handcuffs uh, right at the small of the back, at the base of the spine, or at either kidney. We caused a lot of health problems with that. Um, but getting that stuff off of the, the gun belt helps the hips. It helps the back. Um, putting it up where the weight is distributed more evenly across the torso um and accessible to either hand uh it, it's it's a boon it's it's helped a lot i i don't think that's a trend that's going to go away and in fact i'm looking for in the future where we move equipment to um even easier locations whether it's what everybody today would call a tactical team a tactical platform on the thigh or if it's on a on a sleeve um yeah, I'm, I'm looking for it's going to continue to evolve, but so far getting stuff off the gun belt on the vest has been a very good move. Yeah, and we have seen things added, um, new things like a lot of departments have required officers to have tourniquets on them, um, Narcan as well. That you know, it's the addition of things on top of all the other stuff you mentioned. Um, you know, officers are required to carry that stuff now, so it is good to have a place to put it all. Um, as far as officer safety goes, like you, you spoke a little bit just a second ago about um, being able to access, um, have, have accessibility to that stuff. How important is that on duty? Yeah, you can't underplay it. So if you get, God forbid, an extremity injury uh, with an arterial bleed, you have roughly 45 to 60 seconds before you're unconscious and less than two minutes before you're dead from, from blood loss. So having access to that tourniquet where it's quick and easy accessible to either hand um, is, is vital. Uh, having a hemostatic agent uh, easily accessible and pressure bandage to either hand is vital. Uh, I think where we're, we're, we face a big challenge uh, and it's nationwide and it's because we have so many agencies, there's over 18,000 agencies nationwide. Um, it would be awesome if we could standardize the location of that trauma care material. So whether everybody in the whole country puts it on the lower left side of their armor or everybody in the country puts it on a left thigh platform or everybody, I mean, if we just need to, I need to know that if I come up on an officer who's down, I don't have to waste time searching for his tourniquet or his hemostatic agent or his pressure bandage. I know right where it's at, it's right there. Now it may seem kind of selfish. Somebody's saying, wait a minute, why are you going to use his to treat him? Why don't you just use yours? You know where it's at. Well, that might be what happens, but if everybody was standardized, that wouldn't have to be a concern. And the reality is if this guy's in such a bad situation that he needs that trauma care and I've gone into it to help rescue him, I might very shortly need that same trauma care. The risk or threat has not gone away. Yeah. Potentially it's still there. So the equipment we're carrying should be for treating ourselves or for others to treat us. Um, and, and so we need to have that, that standardization, but the tourniquet, a pressure bandage, hemostatic agent, 
Um, and Narcan for treatment of the officers, I'm 100% uh, all about it. We need to have it. It needs to be standardized locations. And yes, I specified of the officers. Narcan is saving a lot of lives. Um, and, and yeah, it's a shame when we lose lives to overdoses, but we're seeing an increased number of officers exposed to drugs like fentanyl. Um, and I know we just did an article about that that said the threat's not as big as we thought it was. And that's good news, but that doesn't mean the threat's not there at all. And that Narcan can be a lifesaver for accidental exposures uh, for officers in, in, in different kinds of drugs that are out there. So I definitely include that. Uh, but I think we really need to look at standardizing locations of these tools. Okay. So when we when we talk about taking stuff off of the duty belt, um, you're still going to have to put stuff on the duty belt, of course. Uh, you're still going to have items on there. And um, what is the importance of you know it, the pre the material used to be a lot heavier. Uh, you know, in, when you're talking about like heavy leather duty belts. Um, and that's changed a lot. A lot of companies offer uh, lighter weight belts. Again, how have you seen that change in the type of material that's used now? Well, again, back in the day when I came on, it was all leather and brass. And when I even asked my chief if I could go to a ballistic nylon belt, he, he laughed at me and he said, you're not a SWAT cop. Don't even think about it. Um, and now we see quite a few agencies, a lot of them, even if it's only on evenings or midnights or whatever, going to this ballistic nylon material, which is lighter and it is more flexible. Um, anything that reduces weight helps to save us in long-term injury. Uh, we have to remember that officers are wearing this gun belt, um, you know, a third of their life. If it's an eight hour shift, 10 hours a day is more, you know, it's, it's just there, it's constant. And that weight on their hip bones, uh, on their pelvis, on their lower back, um, that all causes problems. The inflexibility can cause problems. Uh, scoliosis has proven to be a challenge depending on how gear gets carried. So that, that lighter weight, that move to the lighter weight material is good. And the other side, the other benefit to it is it's less expensive. I mean, real leather and brass is not cheap and it takes yeah. a lot of maintenance. You don't have to polish black ballistic nylon, which everybody I know loves. So, I mean, I think we're going to continue to see that movement. Yeah, not, not only the material of uh, the belts themselves, but the material of the uniforms, the material used for the carriers it is becoming more, uh, more flexible, more, you know, you can stretch it. Um, how do you think, and, and not only, you know, is it, is it more flexible, but, you know, it also keeps the officer cool. Um, how do you think that is, has helped officers on the street? Oh, we've come a long way from cotton and wool uniforms yeah. to polyester to the blends um, and, and, you know, we all want that trim, tidy uh, look. We want that uniform appearance, um, but we don't want the clothing so restrictive that you can't move and twist and turn. And I mean, I, honestly, you never know where you're gonna end up in a fight and you need everything to be able to let you have full motion in that fight. Um, and it adds to your comfort level as well. Uh, breathability is a big concern. You know, materials now that wick away sweat but retain body heat in the cold. Those are awesome. And, and I'm glad they've developed them. I think we're going to see a lot more used that as where we can. Um, and then anything that's antimicrobial and not dry clean only. I mean, it used to be a huge concern for maintenance of a uniform because you had to go to the dry cleaners twice a week and there was always a cost. Uh, the wash and wear stuff is awesome. Stuff that yeah. uh, the materials that never need ironing is fantastic. It's, it's a blessing. Um, 
So I, I think that's been a great evolution and I look forward to seeing where it goes. Great. And as we know, manufacturers are always looking for the new uh, technology, new, new things they can add to these uniforms and the gear associated with them. Um, what are some things that you think need to be addressed that aren't currently being addressed in that, uh, that field? Well, so we're seeing changes in the law enforcement community as far as demographics. Um, you know, we're seeing a larger number of female officers, which means smaller physiques. Uh, we're seeing a larger number, oddly enough, of left-handed people, which, you know, you traditionally that's 8% of the population, but in law enforcement right now, that's almost 15% of the police officers. So we have to see, you know, left-handed guns or ambidextrous guns. You have to have left-handed holsters. Everything needs to be, we, we need to move towards ambidextrous everything as much as we can simply to reduce uh, production cost for those specialized pieces. Uh, that's one. And two, um, you know, every, every manufacturer has their own spin and every designer has their own spin and what's best. And, and when you start talking to them about what's best, you come to realize that some of it really is just sales pitch that, that uh, they want, they're, they're telling you why theirs is great and what's wrong with their competitor. But if you talk to their competitor, their competitor has the same thing. This is why ours is great. What's wrong with theirs. And really what they need to do is uh, survey the law enforcement landscape itself and say, what do you guys want? What would make your day easier? What would make it better? How do we do this? And if you get the leadership involved, the chiefs and sheriffs that, that, that are not, um, they're not prejudiced against a particular design feature simply because that's not how we've ever done it. Or, you know, that's a SWAT thing. You can't do that. Um, you know, thigh platforms or cargo pockets used to be bozo no-no unless it was SWAT. They need to open their minds up the, the designers need to get the feedback from law enforcement and let's really move this forward to what's going to make it not so uncomfortable to get through the day. We've come a long way, but we have a long way to go. Great. And if you can, uh, I guess, finish this up by just talking about how your uniform over the years changed where you started and kind of where it's ended up now. Oh my goodness. Well, I think it's also the story of, of, Law enforcement equipment in general, you know, in the yeah. 40s and 50s, guys were going on the street in the summertime. They're still wearing a full dress uniform mm -hmm. with a leather gun belt and a suicide strap. That strap that went over your shoulder that any criminal could grab you by and have a hold of you and yank you around. And the eight-point hat. Um, and that was duty wear, even if it was 100 degrees out. And, and now, you know, uh, we've evolved to the point where you have bicycle gops in 100-degree weather. They're wearing shorts and, and tennis shoes and, and polo shirts but they still have to have all the same equipment and all the response uh, gear that that's necessary. Um, when I first came out, it was all leather belts. Um, holster security holsters were just evolving. And now we've got polycarbonate materials and, and uh, combinations of Kydex and leather and uh, so many different synthetics and design features that we, you know, it's, it's, it's really changed my gun belt today. Uh, there's no leather on it at all anywhere. And I look forward to seeing where that goes as we put more on the vest or we standardize how we carry equipment. Um, but certainly we've come a long way from me having to polish my black leather gun belt and my brass buckle and the snaps on my keepers uh, to put my revolver in a holster that had a thumb strap and a trigger guard hook that had to be defeated a particular way or whatever. We've, we've come so far. It's all good. I'm looking forward to seeing where we go. Great. Well, thank you, Frank, for uh, all of your insight and 
Uh, everybody who's listening to us should go to our website, goodofficer.com, check out the September issue of the magazine and um, take a look at this, this story that ran um, and all the other content that's in there. And please let us know uh, if you have any questions, anything you want to add to the conversation, you can reach us at editors at officer.com. Excellent, excellent, excellent. Paul, thanks for the conversation today, bud. Hey, no problem, Frank. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Officer Roll Call. Be sure to check back every two weeks for a new episode. Stay safe.